completed we have now completed our spiritual growth campaign and we are back on the book of Genesis and uh, where we picked up or where we left off last time I should say is three men came to visit Abraham and Abraham was very hospitable to them and made um, an abundance of food for them but the reason they came was to tell Sarah that this time next year Sarah was going to have a son the promised son Isaac clearly these three men are not usual men we know that two of them are angels if you look at chapter 19 verse 1 you can see that and one of them is Yahweh himself and so they they deliver this message to Sarah and um, and they are about to leave after they deliver this message and Abraham follows them and begins to intercede because Yahweh lets Abraham know what he is about to do to Sodom so if you'll read with me Genesis chapter 18 verses 16 through 33 and as I read this I know that the faith of all people is not the same and I know the strength of your faith is not the same and I know that many people who sit in pews have great questions and doubts I'm not unaware of this and so as I walk my way through this text today I'm talking to you especially I'm talking to everyone but I'm talking especially to you you who have questions about God you who may be tempted to doubt his goodness his justice this is a word for you from the Lord that you may continue in faith starting at verse 16 I may need my glasses for this this one because it is dark up here don't know where I put them though. oh there they are verse 16 then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? 
Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, O oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And he answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, O oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. All right. Now in this passage, the Lord tells Abraham what nobody else knows. And that's a key to understand this text. He tells Abraham what no one else is privy to, that he is going to deal with Sodom's wickedness. Abraham knows that Sodom is wicked, yet his cousin Lot lives in the city. He is at the city's gates. And Abraham loves his cousin Lot. In fact, in chapter 14, he rescued Lot from the hands of an army that was coming against him. So he loves his cousin Lot, but he knows that Sodom is wicked. And so when the Lord delivers this information to him, he knows exactly what the Lord is going to find when he goes down to see. And Abraham is very compassionate. He's very compassionate, and he pleads with the Lord because he knows that when God goes down, he's going to find the city not as he would like to see it. And he knows that Lot may be destroyed if the righteous are swept away with the wicked. Some of you have questions about the Lord. There's some of you may be asking, is God as compassionate as I am? Is the God of the Bible as compassionate as I am? Is he as, is he as a, does he have a sense of equity like I do? I mean, think about the slaughter of the Canaanites in the Bible. 
many people think about where's where's the equity of the Lord maybe think about suffering in foreign countries children who are dying without food and water where is the justice of the Lord the problem of evil has always been a a question for people and it's caused people to go down into places that they should not go and they begin to lose the Lord and lose faith and lose their soul and it causes people to rise up in pride and sit in judgment against the Lord as if the Lord had to approximate to my moral compass I want to give you three rules for moving forward in faith in your life today. And I think you see these rules throughout Scripture and clearly are derived from this text today. Three rules for moving forward in faith. And if you have questions about God's justice, the Bible is speaking these principles, these guidelines to you so that you do not fall off and wander. Let's turn our attention to the text. We see first something like divine deliberation in the mind of God. God is making a decision on whether or not to tell Abraham that he is about to destroy Sodom. In verse 17, it says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? So he deliberates on whether to keep his intentions hidden or whether to reveal them to Abraham. In verse 18, why does the Lord even consider sharing this with Abraham? Why would he even consider that in the first place? Verse 18 is our answer. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now what text does that reach back to? What does that reach back to? All the nations of the earth being blessed through Abraham. That's the covenant promise in Genesis 12. Turn there just for a moment. I'll read it. In Genesis 12, God chose Abraham specifically to be the covenant head through which God would redeem the world. It is through Abraham's offspring, his family, that God's redemptive purposes would be worked for all mankind. And he says, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your, fa and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So why did God choose to reveal this to Abraham? He's going to go down to Sodom. He's going to see what it is about. He's going to assess their moral state. Why reveal this to Abraham? Answer. Because Abraham was the covenant head 
that God chose. He has a unique relationship with the Lord that nobody else has. It is through Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham has a unique role in redemptive history as a covenant head and a prophet before God. There's an interesting passage in Amos 3.7. It says, For the Lord God does, not, uh, does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. So the Lord reveals his secrets to the prophets. And Abraham, as the covenant head, is functioning as the prophet before the Lord to the world. Who, who doesn't know about this? Sarah has not been told about this. Lot has not yet been told about this. Nobody else has been told about what is about to happen. Only Abraham. You see, God gives commands to everyone in Scripture, but he does not reveal his secrets to everyone. Commands are for everyone. Secrets are for prophets. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. What God has given you is commands, that you might do them. But he has not given you all of his purposes. He has not revealed his hidden counsels. And he has not spoken his secrets to you. So the first rule that I think obviously jumps out to me as I read this passage is that we are not in the counsels of God. And we are not all prophets. And we are not all covenant heads. So in the midst of your doubts and in the midst of your questions, do not lean on to your own understanding because God has not revealed everything to you. There are secret things that belong to the Lord that you don't know about. And so have the humility to believe that you are not all-knowing as you go through life. There are secret things and they belong to the Lord. So there may be a reason why he brings calamity on a people or why he allows great suffering. God is working all things together for good for those who love the Lord. And he works all things according to the counsel of his own purpose. But you don't know the counsel of his own purpose. And there are secret things that belong to him. So the first rule is to know and understand that you are not omniscient. You are not all-knowing. And God has purposes which you do not know about. That's rule number one, how to move forward in faith. Moving forward in the text, the Lord reveals to Abraham his intentions. In verse 20, it says, Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. What was the sin of Sodom? There could be many things. Now, right away, when we think Sodom, we think homosexuality. 
The first thing, the first mention of Sodom that we really get, that really gives us an idea of their sin is Genesis 13, 13, which simply says Sodom were great and wicked sinners before the Lord. Um, and usually, when this word in verse 20, the outcry against them, when something cries out in Scripture, that means some injustice or harm has been done to someone. In um, Genesis 4, when Abel is killed, what does God say to Cain? His blood cries out to me from the ground. In Exodus 3, 7, when the people of Israel are enslaved by Egypt, it says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. So there's an outcry. I remember the, uh, the saints in Revelation cry, How long, O Lord? And they want the Lord to avenge them. So the, there's a, we know Sodom, they're great sinners. There's a cry out, which means they're a land of injustice. Thirdly, there's grave, grave sexual perversion in Sodom. Now, I just want to say something about homosexuality. It is not God's plan. And you know that from reading scripture. But sexual perversion among a people happens when God gives a people over to their own desires. It's when God no longer sustains a people. He no longer sustains their mind so that their minds agree with reality. That's when God gives a people over. And I think in chapter 19... We're going to see a definite case of that. But we are seeing that today in our country as well. We are seeing a people given over to their own lusts, a, debate, a debased mind. And I don't, I don't mean to say this as some fiery preacher who hates everybody. I, I don't. But homosexuality is not God's plan. It is strict defiance against the Lord and it is evidence that God has given a people up so when you look at America today no wonder no wonder that the, it seems that the Lord's hand is being taken off the country because I believe it is and I think the LTGBQ movement is just evidence of that this doesn't mean that we hate Lesbians or homosexuals or transgender people. This does not mean that we vitriolically spit at them and spew at them. They are our neighbor, right? And we, we ought to love them as Christ loved people the same way. But we can... Gen, our Romans, Paul says, let love be genuine, right? Hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. So if you want your love to be genuine, you must hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Not hate who is evil, hate what is evil. But I just wanted to 
highlight that is when homosexuality, sexual perversion, is when a God is when God gives people over. Giving people over to their own desire is the judgment. It's the beginning of judgment. It's it is when God says to a people, "Your will be done." Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth. That that is what we're seeing in this country and in the world. In the world, too. So sexual perversion in Sodom, I think, was only the outflow of their wickedness. They were great and wicked sinners before the Lord. It seems that word outcry is used to represent some grave injustice and harm, which again we will see in verse chapter 19. But also the rampant homosexuality and perversion is just an outflow of somebody, of a people who have been given over to a, de a debased mind so that their mind no longer agrees with reality. So the outcry of Sodom was very great. And the Lord said, I will go down to see, and if not, I will know. Now this is a, I will go down to see, this doesn't mean necessarily a limit on God's knowledge. This is an anthropomorphism. Who knows what that is? An anthropomorphism. Anthropos, Greek for man, morphe, form. It is a human way of speaking about God. And again, it doesn't imply a limit on God's knowledge. It's a Hebrew way of saying that the Lord is giving direct attention to a matter. He's going to go down to see it. So when you read the Bible, we talked about this in Bible study, when you read the Bible, you must take into account idioms, the type of genre you're reading, and what is, what is meant by the words that are said. What is meant by the words that are said. So Abraham knows what the Lord is going to find when he goes to Sodom. There's no secret. When he goes down to that city, he is going to find wickedness and evil. And so Abraham turns his knowledge that the Lord has given him, that secret counsel that the Lord has given him, of what he will do, and he turns it into intercession and pleading on behalf of Sodom. Verse 22. So the men, that is the two angels, turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. And here we see Abraham pleading before the Lord. Verse 23. Then the Lord drew near to Abraham and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? To do so would be an injustice. To sweep away the righteous with the wicked would be an injustice. Suppose, he says, 50 are found there within that city. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Will you not spare the righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is right? So Abraham intercedes for Sodom on the premise that the judge of the earth is going to do what is right. On the hope that the judge of the earth is going to do what is right. And how is that response met? How is that pleading met? Verse 26. 
the Lord confirms that premise. And he says, it says, And the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous in that city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So verse 26, as I see it, is God's yes to Abraham's question. So will not the Lord of the world, the judge of the earth, do what is right? Will he not spare the righteous? Perhaps this was a legitimate question for Abraham, knowing that the gods, the so-called gods of, of the Middle East during that time were thought to be capricious and chose favorites, were not equitable. Their morals were ambiguous. And Abraham getting to know Yahweh, getting to know that he is the judge of the earth, pleads with him and says, will not the judge of the earth do what is right? God definitively, definitively gives a yes to that question. If I find 50 righteous in that city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. The judge of the earth will do what is just, according to Yahweh. So here's rule number two for you. Guidepost number two. I encourage you not only to believe that the secret things belong to the Lord, but also that he is just, that the judge of the earth will do what is right. God is not capricious or arbitrary in his judgment. He is not unpredictable. He is good and he is just and he will do what is right. Abraham continues to press and intercede for Sodom, though, past the 50. So he locked in that the Lord of the earth will do what is right. How merciful will the Lord be? So here we know he will spare the righteous for 50, but Abraham continues to press him. I love this quote from Derek Kidner, who is an Old Testament scholar. He says, it would be easy to say that this prayer comes near to haggling. Verse 27, Abraham has answered, Behold, I've undertaken, and I am but dust and ashes. Before, suppose there are five lacking out of the fifty. And the Lord says, Yes, I will spare it for forty-five. Well, will you suppose... Um, Oh, again, he spoke to him and says, Suppose 40 are found there. And he says, I will spare it for the sake of 40. Suppose 30 are found there. He says, I will spare it for the sake of 30. And Abraham humbly, every time he asks his questions, he, he approaches him in humility, not assuming God must approximate to his desires but humbly approaches him. Verse 30. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find further 30. Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. I will not do it for the sake of 20. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again. Suppose this once, that 10 are found there. And he said, for the sake of ten, 
I will not destroy it. Derek Kidner says, It would be easy to say this prayer comes near to haggling, but the right word is exploring. Abraham is feeling his way forward in a faith, in a spirit of faith and humility in this whole mode of address. He's feeling his way forward. I think many people in Christendom need to learn from Abraham here how to feel their way forward in faith. Take to God your legitimate questions and concerns and doubts, but do not rail against him. Do not assume he must approximate to what you think is right and true. Do not put yourself in the position of judge against the Lord. Feel your way forward in faith and humility. Abraham says, I who am but dust and ashes. Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Now you've heard me say this before. I think we are way offline in evangelicalism. If you want to take imprecatory psalms and tell God how bad he is. Is not God your father? Is not Christ died for you and rose again? Does not the Spirit reside in you? Do you not have very great and precious promises? Do not sit on the lap of God and slap him in the face. I think that's so out of line. It's okay to come to him honestly, but do not suppose to think yourself a judge in the courts of the Lord. You can plead with God, but never rail at God. Job was a good man. And Job, for the most part, was humble throughout his trial. But he did get to a point where he was darkening the counsels of the Lord with his words. I love this. Job 38 so the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you. You who made, I will question you. And you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who are you? To question the Lord and sit on top of a judgment throne of your own making and act as if the Lord himself must condescend to your sensibilities. Much better to be like Abraham who says, I am but dust and ashes. I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. You know, Ecclesiastes tells us, guard your steps when you go into the house of the Lord. Yes, we can enter boldly as children, but as children of a king. So, my next rule that I would suggest to you for moving forward in faith, when you experience trials, when you have questions about evil in the world, is to do so and move forward with a spirit of faith and humility, not a spirit of a judge. 
Those are my three rules that I think arise from this text. Number one, understand that secret things belong to the Lord and you do not know everything. You are not omniscient and God has reasons for what he allows and what he does. Number two, the judge of the earth will do what is right. He is good. Hold on to that. We sang, to this I hold. My hope is only Jesus. Hold to this as well, that the judge of the earth will do what is right. Yes, there are tears. Yes, there are trials. Yes, there is injustice. But hold to the fact that the Lord of the earth will do what is right and put it all together in the end. And there will be no more tears. Number three, do not lift yourself up in God's presence. Bow before him. You bow the knee before him. And do not move forward in pride as a judge. Move forward in faith, in a spirit of humility, and the Lord will lift you up. Who does the Lord give grace to? He gives grace to the humble. Who does the Lord exalt? He exalts the humble, but he brings down the proud. So for your own safety and health and growth, do not rail against the Lord. What you do with those questions and concerns is you cast them on the Lord honestly. Honestly. There have been times when I've been going on a prayer walk and I just did not know what to do. I don't know the right answer. And so I'm, I speak to the Lord, Lord, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what the right thing is, Lord. I don't know why you're allowing this to happen. I'm honestly talking to the Lord, but I dare not require of him something. If I rules down to one rule, it's that you are not God in this passage. You are not the Lord. But also, too, you're not Abraham in this passage. You're not a covenant head, and you're not a prophet. Who are you then? You're Sodom. If anyone, if you and me are anyone in this story, it's Sodom. There was a great, and, and think, of, think of our sin being a great outcry to the Lord. You know, Jesus teaches us that it's not just awful acts that corrupt God's world. It's a disposition of the heart as well. What does it take to start a wildfire? One spark. And Jesus said, um, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you hate your brother, you've murdered him in your heart. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever is lusted, after somebody who has committed adultery in his own heart. The spark that starts the wildfire was in us and is in us in the flesh. And Paul tells us that no one is righteous. No, not one. So there are no righteous in the city. But we do have a new and better covenant head. A new and better Abraham who intercedes for us. 
and he stands before the Lord. And he does not simply bank on God's justice, he fulfills God's justice. He became a propitiation for us that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him. How is it that God can call wicked men righteous in his sight? Only by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who took your sins upon himself and as we sang, satisfied the wrath of God. He is the propitiation for our sins. And just like Abraham, in the counsels of the Lord, Christ stood and interceded for us. There is a great excerpt from John Flavel, a Puritan, who in, in, writes something called The Father's Bargain of the Father speaking to the Son before time began. I just want to read you some of this. The Father says, My Son, here is a company of poor, miserable souls that, I have, that have utterly undone themselves and, and now lie open to my justice. Justice demands satisfaction for them or will satisfy itself in the eternal ruin of them. What shall be done for these souls? And thus Christ returns. O my Father, such is my love too, and pity for them, that rather than they shall perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their surety. Bring in all their bills, that I may see what they owe you, Lord. Bring them all in, that there may be no after-reckonings. At my hand, shalt thou require of it. I rather choose to suffer your wrath than they should suffer it. Upon me, my father, upon me be all their debt. But my son, the father says, if you undertake it for them, you must reckon to pay the last penny and expect no abatements. If I spare them, I will not spare you. I am content, Father. Let it be so. Charge it all upon me. I am able to discharge it. And though it prove a kind of undoing of me, though it impoverish all my riches and empty all my treasures, yet I am content to undertake it. Not what I will, but what you will be done. Though he was rich, he became poor for us. So for anyone in this passage, we are Sodom. And I wonder if this is the kind of sermon Jesus preached to those on the road to Emmaus when he explained to them in all the scriptures those things concerning himself. Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, for your sake, because there was not one righteous in the city. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.
So the next rule, if I could add a fourth rule, it would be look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Um, trust in the Lord with all your heart, the Proverbs tell us, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That's my word for you today. You who doubt, you who question, you who have great concerns and angst in your heart, knowing that, know that you are not omniscient. Know that there are secret things that belong to the Lord. Know that God is good and just, and he will do what is right. And know that Christ made the sacrifice for you because no one was righteous in the city. And through faith, we can be reconstituted. And you have been forgiven. Have you been, have you been forgiven of much? Then you're in a good position. Have you sinned much and received the Lord? Then you are in a great position because he who has been forgiven much loves much, Jesus says. Let's close in a word of prayer.